You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. We've been walking through uh, building a stronger marriage today, and y'all see session four, and some of y'all go, I should have been warned about this one, uh, because this topic that we're talking about here tonight may seem like a very... um, Topic that you go, I don't know if I'd want to come in here to church for and whatnot, but let me explain something that is so important. Um, what God creates, Satan likes to distort, right? What God gives is good, Satan likes to come in and take good gifts, distort them, turn it, and, and really point us away from him. And so uh, I read a book years ago that said, you know, what's, uh, what's shocking is, is that the people whom sex was created for is God's people within the confines of marriage, and we are typically the ones who don't talk about it at all. We're the most awkward about it. We're the most ones that don't, don't bring it up. And so that's why, as your pastor tonight, I am so excited to be able to talk to you about this thing, okay? And so with this, we're going to do this in such a way that you go, uh, regardless of your age, regardless of your situation, this is going to be something we're going to walk through the biblical things about what truth is and how we need to make sure that we walk in it. So as you go through this, and just so you know, we're, we're going eight sessions, and there's about two words for each one, okay? So we've looked at leave and cleave. We've looked at helpful and alone, uh, helpless and alone and whatnot. And so tonight, looking at this phrase that comes in in Genesis 2.25 that is naked and unashamed, that God designed sexual intimacy to be experienced solely within the confines of marriage. Can I read that statement again for us in 2021? God designed sexual intimacy to be experienced solely within the confines of marriage. Is that how people typically think through it these days? No. No. Uh, in fact, everything else is, no, this needs to be something that needs to be enjoyed or explored before you get married, and then you determine if you need to get married. Like all gifts from God, it is enjoyed to the fullest extent when it is guided by God's directives. In Genesis 2.25, this is the phrase at the end of as we're walking through Genesis 2 and 3. It says, and the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. Okay, now this seems like a very just kind of practical nature of something. And you go, okay, this is just bare bones, like what it's saying. But in reality, there's something here, I believe, that God is getting at. That what marriage is intended for us to be able to experience is this open access to be able to be known and not to be in any type of way intimidated or to feel ashamed. And so let's talk about what this goes down to because I'm, I'm going to shoot straight with you. I cannot think of an area that can conflict so many people uh, in married life or not married life than this issue right here. We are a saturated culture right now where um, everything, uh, I feel like you can't have a movie, a TV show, or even a commercial right now without being some type of sensual, right? It sells. That's what it is. It gets us at a certain level. and now it gets younger and younger. We feel like the school systems are trying to push certain agendas on it. We now have deviations all over the place being forced down everyone's throat as far as what is accepted, what's not accepted. And even I can think through that when my young, uh, when my children were real young, grandparents watching them, I'll never forget this moment. But I came home, I was teaching at some kind of thing at our church and came back and grandparents were watching over our, our boys who were probably five years old. And I remember that Obadiah came up to me and said, Dad, Dad, i got to tell you something. He said, I saw something on the computer I shouldn't have seen. I said, what do you mean? He said, I was sitting there with my grandma, and I was showing her this Lego video that you let me see before. And you all know this. On YouTube right now, it's not enough just to have the video. Guess what? There's going to be an ad that pops up. And what type of sick culture that we live in that some type of risque ad is going to be popped up before a Lego video? 
This is the type of culture that's got a demonic agenda to get us addicted to experience without responsibility. Right? Sensuality without responsibility. And so this is why I think it's so important for us to talk about as a church. And so to break this down, let's go here. Let's talk about with barriers to intimacy. So intimacy, if we think about, once again, brought in with the confines of marriage, that sexual intimacy is a critical component of a healthy marriage. Is it the only component? No. Is it a critical one? Absolutely it is. So we need to be aware of these common barriers that can significantly threaten the relationship. To unpack this a little bit more, I want to read 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. It's got there on, on your sheet for you. But it says, uh, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Stop there. Anybody ever ask and say, God, I just want to know your will? Yeah. <laughs> do you want to know what your will is? He just said it. Your sanctification, you growing up in Christ. And he goes, all right, well, what does that look like? He makes it as simple as you can. You want to know the will of God? That you abstain from sexual immorality. Can you get clearer than that, folks? I'm looking for a word, God. All right, here it is. I want to know your will. Here it is. Abstain from sexual immorality. And so also go, can I get another word? No. This is the word that he would say. You want to know God's will? You abstain from sexual immorality. And so, so with that, can I just tell you what the Greek word, when it says sexual immorality, is? The Greek word is a word called pornea. We would transliterate it this way. P-O-R-N-E-A. Pornea. Pornea. That, that sexual immorality, and we would get what word from? Pornography, right? So it says, here it is, it's the will of God, your sanctification, that you grow up, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that you abstain from porneo, from anything like that that is some type of deviation, which would stop for a second, because we go, wait a minute, uh, just like the Corinthian church, if you've ever read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're going to read a couple verses from it a little bit, it's a shocking chapter, because... Let me tell you what happens, that Paul says, uh, he gets a letter from the Corinthian church, and the Corinthian church says, hey, we've got so many issues, and so many of them have to do with sexual immorality, what should we do? And so in the same way, Paul's talking to this church in Thessalonica, and he says, here's the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Simple question, and it's okay for us to answer even in a church building right now, okay? But did Paul tell us to abstain from sex? No. That's okay, right? Now, my grandmother would roll over in the grave right now if I even said that in a church building right now. She's probably going to get me one day for it. But I'm going to tell you, it does not say that you abstain from sex. It says you abstain from sexual immorality. You abstain from what Satan distorts. That's what you abstain from. Because here's the question. And once again, some of y'all are going to feel like, I don't know if I can answer this, but I promise you it's not a trick question. It's a good, noble, God-honoring question that as your pastor, I want to ask you, but... Who invented sex? God. And that's not a bad thing, folks. Right? We go, oh, I don't know if I can say that. No, 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 no. This was God's idea. So then you go, well, if it, if it caused all this issue in the world, why? Because of all the deviation, right? It's not that the gift is bad. It's the way we distorted it is bad. That's the problem. So he says, here's the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Listen to this, verse 4. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Know how to control your own body in holiness. Holiness being set apart. Honor, doing things that would honor the Lord and other people. That you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Verse 5. Not in the passion of lust. Desiring something that does not belong to you. Someone that does not belong to you. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. 
Don't be like those who don't know God. You learn how to control your desires. And just because, folks, y'all know this, just because you have the desire does not make it right. Correct? For all these people who will always make these claims of, well, I've always had desires like this, and blah, 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 God made me this way. I'll just tell you, if I followed every single desire that ever comes up through my mind, I'd kill about 15 people on Winter Road every week, okay? If I followed everything that they're like, I feel this way, should I act on it? And probably not, okay? Just because you feel it does not mean you need to do it. He says, look, you need to know how to control your own body in holiness and honor, and don't in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Here's the problem, folks. People inside the church are acting like those outside the church in this area, right? Um, the type of uh, issues that come in this category are not just somehow reserved for those who don't know God. And unfortunately, sometimes we act like we do not know God, and therefore we reap the consequences from it. Verse 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Now, just stop for a second. That's weird in the middle of this passage to me. I was studying it earlier, and I was like, that really is odd. That of all the things it would say there, control yourself, don't go after everything you desire, you need not be like these, and don't transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. And I go, what does that mean? And, and, and here's, here's, here's what I believe it possibly means. That when you cannot control your body and you go after every desire, not only are you sinning against God, but typically you are degrading someone else in the process. Fair? Um, if you stare at someone and you begin to lust after them and you desire them, you are degrading someone that does not belong to you without their permission. And in the same way that I would see it this way, if I ever find anybody staring at my daughter as her father, there are going to be some issues, right? <laughs> going to be some issues. I might not be able to preach on Sunday. Somebody else is going to have to, okay? Just going to be straight with y'all. We might have some problems here. Why? Because that's my daughter. And don't stare or degrade my daughter. That's my baby girl. And this is the way I see this. We are all children of God. And does not God look at us and go, don't you dare look at her like that? Don't you dare treat him like that? No, no, no. So even to transgress and wrong his brother, you can, you can degrade a brother or sister in Christ when you treat them as an object rather than a person with a soul. But also, not only the person that maybe that you would disrespect or degrade in what you would say, what you would do, what you would think, but here's also this mentality. Folks, as, as, as serious as I can be, whenever any person engages in sexual activity with someone who is not their spouse, what you are doing is you are taking something away that belongs to someone else. Right? We were talking recently in one of the sermons that talked about, you know, the adulteress. And some people say, well, if I'm not married, what does that mean? Anybody who's not your spouse, you don't need to do anything with. We go, why is that? Because one day that person is going to be somebody's spouse and you don't want to take any emotional connection, any experience away that that person one day down the road belongs to. You need to say, no, no, that's not. So you can actually wrong a brother or sister in Christ because you are taking something away that should be reserved only for them. Can you degrade and wrong and transgress a brother or sister in Christ? Maybe you are not the transgressor of the one who is staring or talking or thinking, but maybe you are the one advertising, right? Um, there are, I would often tell my 
um, wife, I, I used to do this sermon that I would give to college students. I felt like every other week because since Celeste is such a big issue in, in that realm, I would just have to talk about it a lot of times. And one day she corrected me. I used to give this whole illustration about like, you know, ladies, if you only knew what was going on in the minds of guys when you walk around, you'd cover up and you'd dress in a parka and you wouldn't show any skin. Blah, blah, blah. And one day she says, Trav, I know it's a cute little story you tell, but let me just tell you something. It's completely wrong. We do know what you're thinking, and that's why people dress the way they do. They want somebody. They want the attention, the affirmation from somebody. So yes, they advertise, and they don't mind sharing and showing things that nobody but their spouse should one day see. Why? Because they're hoping to get somebody. And you know what that is? That's transgressing and wronging your brother or sister in Christ. Um, you know, and, and for those who go, well, how in the world? Like, I, it, it, it boggles my mind, but I, I can't even remember when I was in college. Uh, my roommate wrote a, we were at, at a Christian college, but my roommate one day uh, wrote an article for the uh, school newspaper that basically just talked about how we need to care for one another by not being a stumbling block for other people. And he said, ladies, I just want to tell you by the way that you dress that sometimes it's a challenge for me to see you as a person with a soul when you're advertising all the time with stuff that I don't want to see, okay? And he wrote that. There's a lot of people, man, thank you for your boldness, thank you, whatever. And there was a young lady in his class that came into class right before it started, right before the professor said, everybody sit down. And she said, hey, I read your article. And then she leaned over where her shirt was showing. He goes, I'm sorry, is this making you stumble? Now, that's someone that I like to call Jezebel, okay, right? This is just, this is just downright sinful. And, and what we don't understand, and, I, and I'll, I'll especially say this to Every lady in the world, that if it takes that to get him, that'll be what will take him from you one day. If you have to advertise like that to get his attention, guess what? I know this is hard for some people to believe. One day, somebody's going to look better than you. And if that's what it took to grab him, somebody else will take it from him. What happens? You can wrong your brother in this matter. Verse 7, look what it says. For God has not called us for what? Impurity, but in holiness. So we're not going to do impure things. We want to walk in holiness. Verse 8, therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So for us, the reason why I say all this is because these are the things that are combating people to experience true intimacy that's supposed to be in a marriage relationship. Here's three specific barriers that I see as a counselor that really cause people in certain areas, whether it's before marriage, during marriage, however it works. First one is experience. And what I mean by that is that your sexual activity with each other or with someone else before your marriage won't ruin your intimacy, but it does raise challenges. At any point, our own experience with that person. So if I will sit down with a couple and say, your engagement with each other or connection with anybody else in your past will not ruin your marital intimacy, but it sure will change things. It's going to complicate it. Um, what takes place, it, it does raise challenges. When um, I was a, uh, I'm trying to think how, what grade I was in in elementary school, but it was still at the time when um, my mom was very, very adamant that if you didn't believe in Santa Claus, you weren't getting anything. Okay, so it's like, okay, you better believe. Okay, you know, just kill it. Even as I remember, forget one day, I remember that I was, I was dusting something on the mantle or something like this, and I, and I see these gifts like behind 
this uh, thing and, and, and I look behind and I can see these gifts in our fireplace and all of a sudden I'm going, oh, that's the stash, that's the Christmas stash, right? And then I hear it coming down the hall and I push it back and I'm like, and I'm just acting like no, no big deal or whatever and, and she looks at me funny, she goes, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just dusting, you know, everything's good here, right? And uh, she walks out and then she calls me and my sister in there, she goes, I just wanna let everybody know, okay, that um, there are things in this house that belong to all of us, but there are things in this house that belong just to me and if I find out anybody messes with my stuff, <laughs> She said, you will never see it again, but I heard it like, you will never see it. You know, like I heard it like, oh gosh, you will never see it again. And I was like, oh, okay. So, so she, she leaves the house. She had to go run on some errands. We do a bear crawl to, you know, look out the window to see if she's left. And then we go in there and we see the stash and everything that I wanted. Man, I had a karaoke machine coming in. I had some cowboy boots. I had some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I mean, I was excited. And then I see it all, and then we pack it back up, and then guess what had to happen on Christmas morning? I had to act surprised. Because I had seen things before the time when the giver wanted me to see it. It took something away. Now, did I still enjoy those things? Oh, yeah. But I still had to go like, oh, didn't know that was coming, right? Okay. And, And so with that, there is an element for us that sometimes we miss this this microphone just went out y'all can y'all still hear me back there we good okay i'll keep going all right i was faking it right i was completely just like i'm gonna act excited right now with this i'm saying this folks i I believe that nobody in this world is perfectly sinless by the time they get married okay i don't think anybody's there but i'm saying and it doesn't mean that any type of exposure engagement or just downright sinful past for 10 years before you get married doesn't mean you can't enjoy the gifts of marriage but does it complicate things yes not a doubt it's not beyond the point of any return but you do have to consider it when sex is engaged before marriage it increases insufficiency suspicions and unhealthy comparisons so of any type that when we go against god's standard Sex is engaged before marriage. It increases what I would call insufficiency suspicions, okay? And unhealthy comparisons. Um, Every single woman in this world, but especially every single woman in the United States of America, does not think that she can measure up. Because we live in a world that photoshops all of our celebrities, that only takes pictures in the best light, and if you don't get so many likes on social media within the first 20 minutes, you feel like you're not enough. So with this, the more that sexual activity is experienced before marriage, it causes people to wonder, am I enough because he's already experienced this, she's already experienced that, am I gonna be enough for this person? In addition, unhealthy comparisons. You start thinking through, okay, so my spouse used to be involved in this, or my spouse used to watch these kind of things, or saw this type, and it goes, am I enough? And so that experience causes a whole lot of issues for us. Number two uh, barrier to intimacy is exposure. Exposure. Being a member of this culture ensures that you have been exposed to sinful content and suggestive comments that distort um, sexual sanctity. Being a member of this culture ensures that you have been exposed to sinful content, right? And suggestive comments that distort sexual sanctity. Sanctity means holiness. I mean, it's a good, honorable thing. Folks, it is the most annoying thing in the world that when I get my family together and we want to watch a college football game, I feel like I have to have my hand on the remote at all times to be able to change channel 
as soon as something raunchy comes on. And, and reality is this, is that, uh, you know, sometimes you can't even see it happening, and sometimes the most ridiculous stuff, you go, that's not, like, what? why would you even use that type of sensual material to sell that, right? Uh, it, it's it's mind-blowing to us, but we are in this culture, we've been exposed to sinful content and uh, and suggestive comments, things that we hear people talk about, the jokes that people say, the experiences that we share, that it distorts what the holiness of, of sexuality is supposed to be. And, and so here's the reality. Sometimes when I'll sit down with a couple who's about to get married and I'll say, I don't know your past in these areas, but I do know this. If you have ever watched TV, if you've ever seen a movie, if you've ever even seen a commercial, you've been exposed to more than what you should have, right? Um, I think I know there's a lot of different ages here in this room, but I, I talked with a guy who... Um, older than me he's probably right now about 57 he told me one day he said travis when i was young if i wanted to look at something inappropriate i had to work for it you know i'd sneak around i'd go to the store i didn't know that guy would sell this he goes i had to work for it now do you have to work for it no it comes looking for you it comes to addict you comes to draw you in and so just the pure exposure do you not see how the sinful content, suggestive comments, how it distorts our understanding of sexuality? Now, how can that, you know, dynamic um, endanger a marriage? Every exposure to sensual material threatens our chance for sensible satisfaction within marriage. Okay? When I say sensible satisfaction, that the gift of marriage should be something that you step back and go, this is a wonderful gift of God. And yet... Sometimes we have experienced certain things, exposure to stuff, that you know what, it threatens our chance for sensible satisfaction within marriage. Um, just the exposure to media and culture and all these kind of things with it. I, I, I mean, I was told when we were, uh, at least when we were getting ready to get married, planning our honeymoon, somebody told us, they said, whatever you do, don't go to Hawaii. I thought, why is that? And they said, because it only goes downhill from Hawaii, okay? Like, if you go visit there, there's no better place to go to than that or something, okay? So uh, we didn't go to Hawaii. We still have not. Anybody wants to give me a birthday gift? Just a, couple, you know, a few weeks from now. Okay, just saying. Um, but they said, you know what? When you experience something like that, like there, there's this level of it's almost a letdown from anything else. And, and the reason why I say that is this is for men and women, but I see so many people who are in a marriage, a healthy marriage, couple making themselves available to each other, and one person feels dissatisfied in the relationship. Why? Because the spouse isn't good-looking? No. Is it because the spouse isn't making themselves available? No. You know what it is? They have seen this standard that is unrealistic for 20 years. And now this image that is not photoshopped in front of them or acting the way that they have seen in media, it can never compare. Right, And so what happens is, is it distorts what should be good and noble. And so, so with this as a dad, am I careful what my kids have access to? You better believe it. Because I don't want Satan to come in and distort what those things are. Then also I'd say this expectation can be a barrier to intimacy. Unclear or unrealistic expectations can lead to damaging frustration within marriage. Um, Y'all do realize there's a difference between unclear expectations and unrealistic ones, right? 
Unclear is, I'm not explaining to you what I need. Unrealistic is, I expect you to do everything that you cannot do, right? There's a difference. Unclear is, I'm not communicating with you. Unrealistic is, you are asking something I cannot do. Sometimes both of those things can lead to damaging frustration within a marriage because someone is thinking something they're not communicating or someone is expecting something that person cannot do. It's unclear or it's unrealistic. So to that point regarding the expectation, genuine needs should be communicated with tenderness and reasonableness, right? So if there was a need as far as a couple goes in, in any type of way within a marriage, if it's a genuine need, not a ridiculous need, okay, a genuine need, you should be able to say that in tenderness and also a reasonableness type of nature with it that we also understand that we need to be servant-hearted in this. Now, that, that's barriers of intimacy. You can turn over to the backside. I want to talk blessings of intimacy just for a second with this because it's so important to know that, once again, God designed sex, and he had some brilliant reasoning behind it. Sex is a connection unique to marriage that bonds together as nothing else can. Here are five things that I believe that, that sexual intimacy within marriage should give us. First one is praise, and you think, okay, that's an odd one to say. The reason why I say that is every good gift comes from who? God. And gives us reason to praise him. So if sex was from the devil, don't engage in it. But if sex is from God, then within marriage is from God. If enjoyment from those gifts that God gives us are from God, then that should give us reason to praise him. And it's not a bad thing. James 1.17 says, Every good and gift and every perfect gift is from where? Above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And let me make sure you, you get this for a second. Because what's interesting is, is, I love that verse, but if you go just a couple of verses back in James, you know what he says? Be very careful what you see, think, whatever. He goes, because when lust gives birth, it gives birth to sin, and then when sin is accomplished, it gives to death. He says, be careful that your lust don't turn over in you, and all of a sudden it continues to lead down these dark paths. And then he says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. And you go, why are these two things related? Because he's saying this, don't cheapen yourself or settle for less than God's best. And your desire for pursuit of lust, realize this. God has a good gift, and it's a lot better. But if he's the giver, that means that you need to listen to him about when you open it up and how you use it once you get it. Make sense? So with that, even within this, we have to say that even those gifts, they are a gift from God, and that should result in praise for us to say, thank you, God, this is a wonderful gift. Number two is pleasure. Sex is meant to be an incredibly pleasurable activity reserved for what? Marriage that stabilizes commitment and ensures romance. So it is meant to be reserved for marriage. You can look at the statistics and find people's uh, just connection once again in relationships. And what you will find, people who are married long term have more satisfying intimate lives than those who are just going in and out of all these different places, different relationships, back and forth, all these different situations. Uh, with this, it stabilizes commitment and ensures romance. What I mean by that is for for someone to have those needs met, and we are people that have multifaceted needs, right? we got spiritual needs, emotional needs, mental needs, physical needs, all those different types of ways. But for me, if I have needs that God has given me, desires that God has given me, and he says, yet there is one outlet, Travis, for you to have those needs met. You need to get married to somebody, and you need to serve her. You know what that means? No shortcuts, Trav. And if I'm not taking a shortcut, guess what that keeps my mind on? How can I serve and love and shepherd and care for this lady and nobody else? See, in our culture, sex has turned so selfish 
It's all about you, not about anybody else. And so that's why it's never even important about who it's with. And yet, God's Word says, hey, this stabilizes commitment. It's going to keep you focused if you say, this is the person that I get to enjoy this with. Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verse 4. It says, this is a wonderful, if you've never read Song of Solomon, it's an interesting book, okay? So interesting that it makes people feel really uncomfortable, right? Because it sounds like there's a bride and a groom that are just really excited about being together on their honeymoon. And you go, that can't be in the Bible, right? Okay? Um, in fact, I can remember the first time I was reading through the entire Bible uh, when I was, I was in college. I'd stopped in Leviticus about four times. And I finally said, no, I'm going to go all the way through. Uh, I was in college at North Greenville. Uh, one morning I was out there, and I just so happened to be in the book of Song of Solomon that morning when my girlfriend at the time, soon to be my fiance, soon to be my wife, Amanda, her brother came in. He goes, what you reading? I'm like, nothing, nothing. I have to close the Bible up really quick. I'm not reading anything. I'm not thinking about anybody. Okay. Uh, but you read this book and it is, it's a very uh, unique uh, book, but it, it, it really talks about the blessings of what intimacy should be within the confines of marriage. Uh, within it, especially if there's, if there's any guys here that are single, you're looking for a lady, I'm just going to tell you, there's some good pickup lines in the song, book of Song of Solomon. There's one that I like to use in my wife from time to time. It says, girl, your hair is like a flock of goats. That always works, okay? It also says, your neck, your neck is like the Tower of David, right? It always works for her. She's like, thank you. Uh, her tea, all, all kinds of stuff, right? There's a lot of stuff, but, but you go down to it, and <laughs> he's trying his best. He's giving his A game out. Uh, but there is in this, th- this picture of what Song of Solomon 3, 4 says. I love it. It says, Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. It's a soul connection, right? So what did she do? I held him. I wouldn't let him go, right? Now, now, now get this. I do love this part of it, that it doesn't hear. Now, there's going to be places in Song of Solomon where she goes, I love him with my eyes, you know. I love him with my mouth. I love to kiss that man. I love to hug that man. But she says, I found the one who my soul loves. It's deeper, right? It's spiritual. You go, what is the soul? I read a theologian say it this way one time. He said, a lot of people think that a person has a soul. You think about it wrong. We are a soul that has a body. We're not a body that has a soul. You are a soul. Your soul will live forever. Your body will not. So your soul is the deepest level that's not immaterial. So here's this woman saying, I found the one that my soul loves. The thing that when I die, it's still going on. And it's so deep and so passionate that, yes, it caused me to embrace him physically. But it started at that level. I think what this world has got messed up is that when, you, when I was growing up, there was this true love waits kind of commitment that we had, basically, that was a lot of youth groups would do. We'd have these rallies, and we would say, we're going we're gonna to save sexual intimacy until we get marriage and, and this true love waits mentality and which was a wonderful thing but I think one of the things that I can remember that the world gets so messed up in is that somehow this is something just about it's a physical nature and then it should go to that right and the world and the culture tells you that there should be certain <laughs> sensations and certain experiences that you need to go and what God's word said is this if you find someone that you love at the soul level right at the soul level the physical nature of that relationship is so much more meaningful, so much more beautiful. And so here's this idea of pleasure. Three, three more. If you're, if you're not aware, this third one comes up. If you're not aware, babies come from this, okay? So it's this thing called procreation, okay? I'm not going to draw you a picture, but I just want to inform you if anybody's kind of confused by this. Uh, but from time to time, these little tiny humans come as a result of this activity. And, and this is, I want you to think about it because this is a beautiful thing. 
It makes sense that the physical union of intimacy would provide one of the most emotional connection points possible. That is children. Um, that's beautiful to me. That God would say, out of all the ways that a person could come into this world, it could be the stork, right? Like your mom told you, right? Okay, maybe. Uh, some, something else happens. Uh, a lot of times people, you know, especially depending upon what generation you were in, uh, we had... And at mine and Amanda's uh, joint family here, since I won't, uh, there was a grandmother age in our family that told our parent age kind of person one time, said, just want to let you know that if you ever lay down or sit down long beside somebody, you're going to end up pregnant. She thought, okay, I'm never going to lay down on the bed. Then, okay, that's what happens, right? That's not exactly how this happens, but I, I do think what's so beautiful is, could God have created children through any aspect? Yes. But what he does is he creates this, this union that happens that would provide one of the most emotional connection points possible. I mean, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says it this way. Now, Adam knew Eve his wife. And when you get to that word know in the Bible, a lot of times it's used to say, like, know in a way that he didn't know anybody else, right? And then when Adam knew, it kind of made it easy because there wasn't anybody else to know, but you see what I'm getting at. Adam knew his wife. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. I don't, I don't know any mama's here to go. She didn't say a baby. She goes, I got a man. I don't know how big he was, okay, when he came out. But, but she says this, uh, I, I've, gotten, I've gotten a person, another living, breathing person. It's a soul right here that I get to mother. And I got this with the help of the Lord. And I just go, there is something so beautiful. That God says this wonderful thing that's only supposed to be shared within marriage creates a connection and brings people together like a child that should lock you into each other forever, right? Mm -hmm. We're responsible now. We're one now. This is like evidence of our oneness. Both parts of us are, are literally combined here to, to make and, and so it, it brings a family together like nothing else can. And what, what's so amazing is it's just think this is the help of the Lord that, that God does this. Now, once again, in our culture, folks, what do we want? We want sex without responsibility and even the responsibility of bearing children, right? Uh, Larry, second leading uh, cause of death in the United States of America last year. What was the second leading cause? Lungs. Lungs. First leading cause of death in America? Absolute abortion. Abortion. Uh, more people died to abortion last year in the United States of America than any other condition, right? And, and what abortion is, is we want sex without responsibility. We want sex without family. We, don't, we want sex without having to deal with the baggage of. And I'm just here to say, I believe what Psalm 127 says is accurate. Children are a blessing of the Lord. They are not a burden. They're a gift. And we have to come back to that sense. Uh, fourth blessing that intimacy provides within a marriage is protection. Since we have sexual desires, the more fulfilled you can be within the marriage, the less likely you will look for pleasure outside the marriage. Marriage is meant to say, so you have desires? Great. They're God-given. Meet them here. Don't settle. Don't shortchange. Don't, don't pass go. Don't collect $200. Don't you know, go against the system. Do things God's way. I give you this verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verse 5, and this is the, the chapter I was telling you about that some of you may be shocked. If you read this chapter, you go, that's in the Bible? Let me tell you what happens here. 
A church writes Paul and says it this way. Imagine if you can think of a culture that's like this. Paul, distortions in sexuality is affecting our culture so much. We need to do something about it. Sex is causing our people to go crazy, uh, dividing people, um, messing up relationships, messing up homes. Can anybody imagine a culture like that where sex can make everybody so crazy? Anybody? Okay. I, I can imagine living in a culture like that. So this is what they write him. They write him a letter that Paul's responding to. Chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Paul says, So concerning the things that you wrote me about, when you said, Is it better that we not have sex altogether? <laughs> Let me tell you the answer. No, that's not the answer. <laughs> the answer is this. Get married and do it God's way. Don't shortchange this. Sexual immorality is a problem. Sex isn't the problem. Sexual immorality is. Distortions of it is. So this is where he starts saying, go ahead and get married. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now if you're thinking, is God's word saying what I'm thinking it's saying there? You would be correct. That God is saying that all of us have different needs. And if the needs aren't met within the marital relationship, a lot of times it causes us to start thinking about getting them met somewhere else. Now, let me give you a real quick um, warning here, okay? I have met with people, and, and I'll say this. Um, if your, you and your spouse are not connecting on this level, and intimacy is at a bare minimum if to a non-existent thing. I want to tell every single person here, man and woman, you are still responsible to God and your spouse to be faithful. It never gives you a free pass. If you are disregarded, if you are ignored, if you are forsaken in this department, it is not a free pass to say, well, I'm going to do things my way. Never free pass. But within the confines of marriage, you see what Paul says there. Don't deprive one another. You have needs. We'll meet them within the marriage. The need's not sinful. Your distortion of it is. If you have to deprive one another, by agreement for a limited time, what do you say? You better be praying. <laughs> okay? Be praying. And as soon as that's over, whatever it is, if someone's having to travel or something happening, you, you can't come together. Listen to what you do. As soon as you can, you need to. Why? You don't want Satan to come in and tempt you because of your lack of self-control. There's this desire that God wants us to make sure that we are having those needs met within the marriage. And let me make sure you understand this really quick, too. With this, it's never free pass, right? Never free pass. Unreasonableness, all kinds of stuff that can happen there. Never a free pass for us to consider what we would want to do, need to do, think. It's never a free pass. So within this, you can have, let me also say this, you can have the most healthy intimacy that history's ever seen and can someone be stupid and walk outside the lines yes. yes happens all the time could you also say you know what i'm not meeting my spouse's needs and that person stay faithful absolutely you can last one here is is a partnership and then we'll be done um the uniting of bodies also encourages the uniting of hearts the gift of intimacy is something that uh, i will say it this way um in reality, um, marriage is a wonderful gift to experience a lot of things. I get to share memories with my spouse. I get to 
eat meals with my spouse. We had our anniversary of 17 years on Saturday. We got somebody gave us a gift card to a really fancy restaurant. I was concerned about which knife I had, which fork I had. Like you get wonderful experiences, right? I get to go. We watch movies together. We go on long walks together. We share wonderful laughs together. We've had tears together. And I will say that all those things are wonderful gifts of marriage. But you know what? All those things I just listed, I can also share with other people. I can eat another meal with somebody. <laughs> I can watch a movie with somebody. I can go on a long walk with somebody. I can have a good laugh with somebody. I can have a good cry with somebody. There's only one person in my life that this is reserved for right here. And so what I'm saying is, is that it cannot be seen as this thing on the outside of marriage. It's like, well, that's just the... No, no, no. This is an incredible way that God brings us together. Hebrews 13, 4 says it this way. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. That there is something about coming together, and in that is the way God has intended it for it to be. It brings us together in a partnership. It says, for God would judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. You have desires? Good. Have them met God's way, God's time, within the gifts of marriage. Let's pray together. Father, we just ask tonight, we thank you for your gift uh, of marriage and for intimacy. And we do thank you, God, that it's not a shameful thing to speak of because it's your gift. And yet, though, since you are the giver of it, we should always, always open the gift, handle the gift, treat the gift the way that the giver has intended it to be. So God, protect us and, and help us in the moments that we walk away from it. God, for those that are, are married, those that are single, for all the different situations that are represented here in this room, uh, anytime that we distort the good things that you've given, we walk far away from what you've called us to. So, Lord, even in this area, while our culture is going completely mad concerning it, help us find the satisfaction, the joy, the contentment, and the right way to do things according to your standard, your ways, for your glory, for our good. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.